It's time now for the Bob Siegel Show, a religious open forum where all questions are welcome. The Bob Siegel Show is brought to you in part by on-camera and voiceover talent RodHunter.com and the law offices of Matthew Simone. And now, here's your host, Christian apologist Bob Siegel. Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show. This is Dana Siegel, but I am joined by Bob tonight in studio, and we also have our good friend Mike Friedenberg here with us. If you're a regular listener, you heard the debate that Bob did with Nadir about Muslim and Israel and so on, and Mike was our moderator. I have to say, I was so happy Mike was going to be the moderator because Mike is so gifted and just knowing about these things and he did a great job and Mike and Bob came up with the idea of doing a debrief show about the debate because I think we're all kind of flabbergasted about how it went so I'm just really excited that they're going to share their thoughts about the debate about information that was shared well, what we mean by flabbergasted is in any debate it goes by so fast that you're always thinking here's some things we could have spent a little more time on or clarified Yes. And I also, by that, I just, it just didn't go the way I've seen debates go before. What what would you say flabbergasted you and what was different? Well, for me, I've watched you prepare for debates various times and I know you work hard to prepare for those. And this time I watched you prepare just with so much dedication and fervor for over a period of time. And I know you because we thought there was going to be a lot of data exchange information, I think current information about what was going on and that just didn't happen on your side it was there but on his side we just didn't hear a whole lot and so now of um, course he would claim that there was a lot on his side but what he was mostly doing was saying here's a bunch of well-known organizations like the united nations and the red cross and they all say that israel's wrong he was trying to give that argument the majority determines what's right or what's wrong Yes. So for me, it just was different from other debates that I've seen you do. I'm used to the opponent being maybe just a little more forthcoming. I felt like he wasn't forthcoming One on One thing some that things. surprised me, and I've debated Nadir before, and I was expecting him, I knew he was going to make the points he was going to make, but I was expecting him to come on and immediately say, look, the attack from Hamas was horrible and there's no yeah. defending it. But you got to remember Israel's culpable too. I thought he was going to say something like that, but he came right out at the gate when it was his turn to make his uninterrupted opening statement. Israel has no right to defend itself. Yes. It's a rat apartheid state. That was Even a shock. he yeah. shows more diplomacy than that, yeah. generally, he has in the past. And I know you and Mike are going to address that as you guys get into this discussion. So we're here tonight to review that debate and talk about it. And I am going to share some comments from listeners that responded as we come back from each break. And so here's a group of comments. This is from Tom. It says, Hi, Bob. 
I heard your debate with the Muslim apologist on your podcast. After I heard your opening statement, I was wondering how could this guy possibly counter all the facts you just gave? I was flabbergasted when I heard his argument. Well, there's another flabbergasted person. So, are you writing this down, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> Two people were flabbergasted, Dana yes. and Tom. Yes. It seemed like he lived in a totally different world with different facts, in quotes, than you and me. Anyway, keep up the great work. Well, that was from Tom. This was from Joyce. Bob was great. I heard facts from him and the other guy's sources were bogus information, but I see how they use the media for them to be labeled in quote, the victims. Praise God for his truth. And finally from Mark, it says, hey, Bob, I think the debate was great. My wife and I enjoyed it. I wish there was more time. I would have enjoyed a back and forth on who are the indigenous people to the land. Your guest slightly mentioned the topic. So those are a few comments to start out. And now I'm going to turn it over to Bob and Mike to talk about the debate. Yeah, I will say that one of my arguments that I started with going up against this lie, this historical revision that Jews have no claim to the land historically. And I went back to the time of the word Judea on Roman coins. I just gave a litany of evidence, and he never really dealt with that at all. It's almost as if he just didn't want to go there and he ignored it. But I know Mike's given this a lot of thought and has looked into a lot of these matters, so I'm going to turn it over to Mike for a while. Well, I want to start at a very high level here to talk about this whole bias against Israel in the media. A lot of people don't really think they're being biased, but it's because... If you grew up here in the United States or Europe, you know, you've experienced post-World War II 70-plus years of what I would call Pax Americana, 70 years in which you didn't have to have to worry about enemies attacking your country, enemies killing your family. You were insulated and perfectly safe. Yes, you got involved with wars, but the wars we've involved with, there's been zero threat to American citizens here on this country. Not since World War II has any American citizens really seriously been threatened here. Now, we did have the terrorist attacks, and you saw how we responded to that. And there's groups and organizations that estimate several hundred thousand Arabs in the Middle East, directly or indirectly, died because of our response to those and terrorist attacks. And pressure is being put on Israel right now to not conduct themselves the way we were fully willing to conduct ourselves after 9-11. Well, and, and let's go back to World War II, where we were trying to get the people of Germany to rise up against the Nazi Germanys by doing mass bombings of Dresden and places like that, where hundreds of thousands of people were killed by mass bombings. Now, we felt we were threatened. So when we thought we were threatened, when we felt our families were really in danger, that's how we responded. Well, and we were threatened. Hitler made no bones. He was going to conquer the entire world for the Aryan race. So He killed millions and millions of people. So now we have to look at Israel. Israel is a country that basically takes about one five hundredth of the entire area of the Middle East. One five hundredth. It's a tiny little sliver. And they clamor over this piece of land it's like a, it's the only place a, people can live. A tiny little sliver. It doesn't have much oil resources compared to the rest of the Middle East. Its population is 140th of that. Basically, bombs and rockets and missiles can hit almost any place in Israel at any time. And yes, Iron Dome has done a good job of protecting Israel from the rockets that come in. But since 2002, tens of thousands of rockets have been fired in from the Gaza Strip. So... You know, we don't live in an in environment like that, so we have our very high sort of catalog standards. You know, we sit here on high and go, oh, yes, that doesn't make sense to do that. If we were in the same kind of danger that Israel is in, I'm going to tell you, if people really thought there's families, they would have a different standards. They'd be saying, hey, 
do what you need to do to protect my family. But we don't do that. We sit here in the United States, safe and sound, and we don't empathize with what the Israelis have been going through. So that's one thing I do want to make, is that it's a double standard from that from the very beginning. The other thing is, throughout the world, you have countries engaged in all sorts of battles and conflicts, and they're not held to the same standard as Israel. Now, I will say that that's somewhat complementary to Israel, because Israel is a Western standards country that has very high standards for human rights, and therefore we sort of do hold them to a higher standard, where really... We look at other countries around the world and we say, oh, yeah, well, we can't expect that from That's really what we're doing. And then the final thing I want to say before I get some comeback here is that we're getting all these casualty statistics from the Gazan Ministry of Health. Well, the Gazan Ministry of Health... That is, was something we tried to drive home in the debate, too. It's fully, fully controlled by Hamas. So... So even though you can list a variety of news sources, they're all getting theirs from all the same native source. All their stats are coming from the Gaza Ministry of Health. This is the organization that's controlled by the organization that committed those atrocities on October 7th. So when you get these casualty reports, number one, first of all, you don't know if they're real casualties. They're really that number of casualties. But number two, you don't know if the casualties are actually combatants or actually genuine civilians. You have no idea. So there's so much bias out there, so much of a double standard. And so that's just sort of the high-level thing I do want to just mention And right folks, now. that is no understatement. Right after 9-11, during the Infatada, I watched something from Palestinian TV that was captured and shown on American news networks. And it showed a funeral service from somebody who had been killed by the Israelis. And when they thought the cameras were off, the corpse literally got up and walked out of the coffin. I mean, you you had to see this to believe it. So these are the kinds of news sources. This is the kind of reliable information we're talking about. And then we have Hamas and the Palestinian authorities. They're still paying people to kill Israelis. If you kill an Israeli and you die in the thing, your widow and your children get a big payment from them. So they still have a bounty out on Israeli citizens, even right now as we're speaking. When we sit there and we put our standards and press them on the people of Israel, we're doing them a disservice. It's very callous. It's very shallow. It's showing us that we have no concept of what it's like to be over. And once again, I said this a lot during the debate, but I can't say it too many times. Israel keeps getting pressed for a two-state solution that the Palestinians do not really want. If we ever had one, they would still continue attacking Israel. They were offered their own state back in 1947. They turned it down because they wanted Israel to just not exist at all. Those are the facts, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that's been one of the things that, you know, if if this there's ever going to be any way to move forward, I think the basic criteria and that the world has to be on board with is, number one, whoever ends up being the local authorities in Gaza, they have to, number one, agree that Israel has a right to exist. They have to agree that they will stop terrorist attacks. And then they, they have to also agree that then this here's some things that are somewhat unique about Israel that does make it a little bit harder. Israel was founded as a Jewish state. So they're going to be doing things a bit different than some other countries. For example, the right... And yet they do have Arab citizens that live there anyway. They do, but for example, they're not going to give the equal right to return to Arabs to that area as they are to Jews, because they don't, because they want to remain a Jewish state. And that's that's something that we just have. Well, there's always refugees after wars. And what people don't realize is Jews were kicked out of every Arab state yes. in the Middle East during the 1947-48 war, too. Israel took as many of them back as they possibly could. Virtually no Arab nations took in the Palestinians, with the exception of Egypt at the Gaza Strip. And 
Jordan. And even they were keeping them behind barbed wire in camps. In, in refugee camps. Yes, refugee camps. Which, which was just a breeding place but, for But hatred. the Arab nations allowed this because the Palestinians were a good political ploy for them. No, they were they using were, them as tools. They were a massive knife at the throat of Israel that they continued to fund. And yeah. international organizations have funded places like the West Bank and Gaza to the tunes of billions and billions of dollars. So the graft and the corruption there, you have Hamas billionaires living guitar. None of that's covered there. So, you know, there's a lot of this and, fake- and, when, and when we quote the United Nations as a source, oh, the United Nations disapproves of Israel. The United Nations has in charge of their human rights Council, the country of Iran, the leading sponsor of terrorism in the world. This is a joke. Who cares what the United Nations says right now? Even the current ambassador appointed by Biden, whose responsibility is to deal with anti-Semitism, has this to say. Past actions by the United Nations have sometimes had the effect of fueling anti-Semitic attitudes about Jews. Notably, UN General Assembly Resolution 3379, adopted in 1975, which General Kofi Annan called a low point, endorsed Zionism is racism, that trope, which is completely false. And then, finally, in 1991, they did reverse it. But to this day, Israel, this is from the Biden administration, by the way, to this day, Israel is often subject to disproportionate and one-sided attention from the United Nations intergovernmental bodies relative to other actors and solutions of global concerns. So like I just said, there is a double standard. And even the Biden administration, the current ambassador, is stating that. So there is a long history of anti-Semitism in the United Nations. Last year, Nadir also mentioned Human Rights Watch. The guy who put it, that report together, a big report he's probably quoting from, is a well-known anti-Semite who put together a report there. So anti-Semites have worked their way into organizations. Also, the same thing with Amnesty International. The person there that was responsible for putting together that big report that Nadir was, is also has a history of anti-Semitism. Yeah, and a lot of people try to say, well, I'm anti-Zionist, but I'm not an anti-Semite. A Zionist is merely somebody who believes that the Jews are entitled to live in their own country. Why do we allow that right to any other people group other than the Jews? Well, it is a double standard. It also just does point out something that I do think that sometimes overlooked, but I know that you're acutely aware of, and anybody who's studied history in the Bible, but especially history, is that anti-Semitism, the kind we're seeing today, is nothing new. It's been around for 1,500, 1,800, coming up on thousands. Of, well, definitely in thousands of years, because well over a thousand years. And it's just very interesting that you have this group of people, the Jews, against all odds, maintain some kind of cultural cohesion. But time and time again, they find themselves on the wrong end of anti-Semitism. Obviously, World War II is a horrible example of this, but you had the pogroms in Russia. You had in Europe. You know, oh, there were pogroms in Europe yeah, for pogroms centuries, and, and, and right. even be long before the Nazis. So I want to say this as somebody who happens to be a follower of Jesus and a Christian. I also do believe that there's a spiritual dimension to this as well. I well, think there is, and we read about this in the book of Revelation. Satan hates the Jews because through the Jews we got Christ, and through Christ we have salvation to yeah. the whole world. But you don't have to, listen, if you're not a Christian, you don't have to believe You that. don't have I'm, to believe in Satan that. to study history and realize that what you're hearing about Israel has not been the truth. Right. It's not the truth and that there is a long history of anti-Semitism and these organizations were talking about anti-Semitic. So I would just challenge people to really take a look at the safety that you enjoy, that you just take for granted and try to empathize with a little teeny country surrounded by 600 million Arabs, many who are hostile, most of them who are hostile, in this little tiny sliver of land where you're constantly being bombarded by rockets and you have people saying their goal is to wipe you and your family 
off the face of the earth. Then you've just gone through this horrible atrocity where literally pregnant women had the baby ripped out of their womb in front of their other siblings and the husband. So we have the luxury to sit here on high going, well, ooh, that doesn't look good. Ooh, this this just, ooh, this isn't quite the way I would do it. It's a very callous and unthinking and uncaring thing to do. Now, I do understand that people are concerned about civilians there, but remember, who is the people who are putting these civilians at risk? It's Hamas. It's Hamas that purposely locates its military depots, its personnel in hospitals, in refugee camps, in schools, in schools, in big apartment buildings. So young Israeli soldiers are dying because they're going the extra mile to give the civilians as much of a chance they can. For example, they do calls into areas they're going to strike, phone calls. They send leaflets in. They do social media messages. They even do what's called the knock bomb, where they drop a low power bomb as a threat to let people know that this area is going to be hit. So it creates a big loud boom, but does not damage the buildings. And then people know that this is an area they've got to get out of there. And by doing that... And then Hamas has time to so, regroup so, and so this means, Yeah, so... The, the, Nobody else has been expected to do this kind of stuff. And the United States has bent over backwards to do things, but we can discuss what the United States has done. But it's been a completely different situation because we were completely safe here. None of our civilian population was at risk. And that's a completely different ballgame. Okay, Mike, hold with me over the break. You only need to listen to this radio program once to figure out that Bob has very strong opinions on a wide variety of issues. But one of Bob's strongest passions is freedom of speech itself even when such speech challenges his own convictions. So feel free to send Bob a comment or a thought-provoking question. You can reach Bob on Facebook or questions at bobsegel.net. Tonight, Bob and our good friend Mike are talking about the debate with Nadir, a Muslim apologist. And I'm going to bring us back in with a few more comments from listeners. This one's from Roger. It says, what I thought was interesting about your debate was that Nadir admitted in my hearing that Hamas was a terrorist organization, but being blinded by the father of lies, he could not outright condemn their terrorist attack on Israel and danced around the atrocities they had committed. Israel is simply going after the murders and the planners who carried out the murders, just like any law enforcement agency in the world would. Thou shall not murder. I don't recall a bunch of protests in this country when Al-Qaeda was attacked in Afghanistan or Osama bin Laden was killed. People need to realize terrorists are the ones who start the conflicts. Like you said, a murderer comes into one's own house, people are going to seek justice for the victims. Thank you for debating this Muslim. This one is from Elaine. Bob won with an exclamation mark. And I'm not just taking sides. His opponent uses Google and the U.S. State Department has his references. That is laughable. And the bottom line is who attacked who? That makes Hamas the terrorist group. Hamas has received billions of dollars in foreign aid and they have spent it on military weapons. Gaza is a cesspool because of their leaders that have made it that way. Three or more Hamas leaders are also billionaires with no obvious jobs or skills or talents to have secured that kind of wealth. And that was from Elaine. And this last one is from Teddy. Hi, Bob. Just wanted to let you know we were listening to your radio show and that guy was hard to listen to. No regard for human life, full of hate. You did a good job, but unfortunately, he didn't like to listen or answer questions. Praying for the veil to be lifted from his eyes. So three more listeners' comments, and now I will let you and Mike continue with your discussion. 
Well, those are really good comments. It's interesting that one of the commenters mentioned the guitar billionaires. The amount of international aid rolling through West Bank and Gaza, Gaza Strip, is just, it's billions and billions yeah, of dollars. Yeah, because that's one of the talking points, that it's because of poverty that we have terrorists. Right. And by the way, Israel, unlike some of those other Middle Eastern countries which are just rolling in money because of oil, Israel is not. They do have a 40% poverty rate among Jews in that country. So it's not a wealthy country, but they spend their money very efficiently on their defense. And obviously, everybody has to serve. So they're able to defend themselves and they do have a very effective military. I mean, I think man for man, one of the, the best in the world, if not the best. But, you know, when we have gotten in battles in the last post, let's say post-Vietnam, you know, we've gone in there with overwhelming air power. A huge percentage of the money we've spent has been on air power. Missiles, bombs, hitting the potential enemies at range. And a lot of times when you hit somebody with a bomb, even if it's precision or a missile if it's precision, there's going to be collateral damage. Now, Israel's even been trying to be even safer than the United States by, you know, imagine if we were trying to take out the Taliban and we sent in a, a leaflets to the village they were hiding in among the civilians. The Taliban did hide among the civilians. So we leaflet the village and then we send out, you know, a helicopter over it. Hey, Taliban, we're about ready to attack you. You should pull out. So, you know, well, actually, civilians, you should clear out. Well, of course, the Taliban. So we're just asking. Israel is fighting this battle with one hand tied behind its back. It's still winning, I believe. But literally, they are losing they are taking casualties because they're trying to protect the civilians. So there's no comparison between the respect for human life, between Israel and Hamas sitting here in the United States or Europe or places like that where you just have not had to face the situation that Israel is facing and rendering your little judgments about you know what's right and wrong. Yeah, I do appreciate that. And obviously, we can have our opinions on that, and we do want to minimize. But let's do realize that if we were in the same situation, we would be thinking differently. That's all I can say. Exactly how differently, but certainly differently. And one thing, now, I had heard this before the debate, but I hadn't had a chance to confirm it yet, so I didn't mention it. They were actually putting babies alive into ovens. Oh, this is what the Nazis did. Yes. Now, I mentioned that they were decapitating babies, and that was enough. But the thing about the ovens has since been confirmed. I can't say this too many times. It's the same things the Nazis did, but the Nazis tried to hide it. Hamas is bragging about it and reveling in it and putting it on social media. That's, yeah, very nice. But speaking of Nazis, one of the things that we heard five, <laughs> six, seven times was this term, rat. Racist, apartheid terrorist state. That's the acronym that Nadir was using. Now, that's not just something that was pulled out of the air. Oh, look, I think I'll use rat. That, that goes back to Nazi Germany. In Der Sturmer, Nazi Germany's most influential propaganda sheet, you have a cover image depicting a Nazi gassing Jewish rats that huddle around the base of a mighty tree. And when the vermin are dead, the caption reads, the German oak will flourish once more. So the rat and vermin imagery around the Jewish people has been used throughout the centuries and most recently really heavily by the Nazis. Well, but it desensitizes people. These aren't human beings. These are just rats. I mean, it puts that image in their head. And your brother mentioned as I believe you told me, that this is something that's being used at rallies on at the college campuses. protests on the rallies are using that college phrase, College using that term, rat. Yes. So it is a way to, so that is something that is just right out of the Nazi handbook. But My brother, by the way, lives in Israel, and we will be hearing from him. He wrote a comment, too. We'll be hearing from him in our next segment. 
right out of the Nazi handbook. And we have it right here with your opponent, Nadir, talking about his friendship with the neo-Nazi. And he didn't even... Yeah, he was trying to give I, such I, a comprehensive list of the organizations that disapproved of Israel. He's saying, even my neo-Nazi friend thinks Israel's going too far. Yeah. And that he considered a persuasive argument. Yes. And that just shocked me. I was, I don't have a whole lot to contribute to this conversation. You both know so much more about all of this than I do, but I knew enough when he said that. I just, I lost all respect for him. What the Nazis did was so hateful and just beyond. It just is, it's so hard to even understand. But I do wonder if he forgot he was talking to a Jew when he's, or he doesn't care. I don't know. Well, I'm not I did sure. not, me- I don't believe I mentioned my mention Jewishness last week. It's no, mentioned constantly. Not. on the radio and he knows me I'm assuming he knows I'm Jewish or he thinks of me primarily as a Christian and religiously I am primarily a Christian but I was born Jewish and converted to Christianity well yeah the rat acronym I think it makes sense to break this down so let's talk about the term racist okay and I don't to some degree maybe talking about it validates it but I do think it's worth mentioning racist okay so racist means what does that mean well, it means either somebody who believes a race is inferior or somebody who hates that particular race. It could include either one of those definitions. Okay. So here we have Israel, which has 20% of its population is Arab, right? And those Arabs have more rights in Israel than right. any Arab Muslim country. That are allowed to vote. Exactly. They, they 80 and some, the rights for women. Some 80-plus Arab Israelis have been able to serve in the Knesset, and they just appointed full-time permanent member of the 15-member Israeli Supreme Court, a Muslim Arab Israeli. And they've had other Arabs on that Supreme Court as well. So, um, listen, there's racism in every country you go to. Israel's no exception. But if you compare it to... But it's this, not coming down from their government no, in not, any kind of not, policy. No, it's not an official policy. And then if you go to a lot of the surrounding Arab countries that, you know, many have, over the years that have tapped Israel, uh, many who have said that they want to see Israel wiped from the face of the earth. Let me just put it this way. If you go there and you're going to be a Christian trying to live there and share your faith, I would strongly suggest that you would be putting your life in danger. Well, and it's not just Hamas that doesn't recognize Israel's right to exist. By the way, he tried to deny that Hamas feels that way, even though I read from their own statement and charter. But the Palestinian charter does not recognize, this is the Palestinian authority, they don't recognize Israel's right to exist either. Now, after the Oslo Accords, they said they were going to change that charter. It's very debatable whether they ever did. It was mostly like, well, we elected a committee to look into it. But they are still calling for the extermination of Israel. So people need to understand this. So, it's okay. not just Hamas. It's the Palestinian population. So I will just say this. Being a racist is an ugly thing. You don't want to be called a racist because everybody here listening to me, the people in the room with me, do view racism as a very vile and horrible thing. The Israeli citizens is in general do as well. So it's not a racist nation at all. So that's number one. It's just not. And the comments made about the Jews that I've been hearing left and right are about is racist. You could, if those of comments course. aren't racist, the word should of, be taken out of the dictionary. And, and that's one of the things you see is so often when you're involved with these sort of things, you find the people that are the most guilty of something are the ones that are out there screaming the loudest. Yeah, they about call it that being, projection. They're doing projection. what they do and they're projecting yes. it on somebody else. And so th- I do think there's a lot of projection going on here or just out and out intentional propaganda being spouted by people who don't believe it, but they hope that it's effective because their goal is to tear down Israel. Now, then you have the apartheid question. Now, bottom line is Israel is not an apartheid society. It allows the Arab citizens to vote. 
They can serve in the Knesset. They can serve in the Supreme Court. Now, there has been some, you know, and you do get this, where Arab Israelis feel more comfortable living together. So you do have areas of high concentrations of Arab Israelis living together. And in those areas, those areas are lower income than the other areas where there's just Jewish populations. But what they found is, is that Arab Israelis that move into areas that are more Jewish, they actually have a, so it's more of the area they're living in. If they move there, their income comes up and the differential disappears. So it's one of those things to be like, you know, you sit here in the United States. Unfortunately, we have, you know, areas that are, let's say, heavily African-American and you find lower socioeconomic stats there. But as a whole, the United States has spent tremendous amount of time and effort to try to eliminate these inequalities, right? Yeah, also during the Bush administration, when they were talking for the umpteenth time about seriously turning the West Bank area into a separate Palestinian state, the Israeli government asked some spokespeople from their Arab citizens if they would want to then move to the Palestinian state. And they almost fell over on the floor laughing because they knew they would never get the rights there that they had in Israel. And Israel over the years has offered substantial, very substantial aid to the West Bank and Gaza. And that's been largely sabotaged or turned down by Hamas now, and what the other is, leaders. Now, what is true, and some people try to twist this with the apartheid argument, Israel was set up and founded to be a sanctuary for Jews around the world who are being persecuted to come to their own homeland. So they're going to still call it a Jewish homeland. That doesn't mean an Arab citizen can't live there. There are Christians that live in Israel that are citizens. But it was designed to be a Jewish homeland, just as France is a homeland for the French. But people try to twist that and make an apartheid. And they're not going to go back on that statement. They're not going to go back and claim that Israel's reason for being founded no longer exists. But it's not really affecting the way another citizen who's not Jewish in Israel lives. That's the main point. There are Arab countries who basically declare that you have to be Muslim, or if you go against Muslim, you're not allowed to live there. Yeah, and Israel doesn't execute you if you're not Jewish. Right. So in terms of tolerance, there's no comparison between Israel and other countries in that region of the world and other regions of the world, including Africa, where if you're a Christian, there's all sorts of examples of people being killed for, well, we have, we have, we have, we also have fights happening between Muslims and Hindus as well in India. Israel's actually better than many other places in the and world. And yet this little this. piece of land, no bigger than the state of New Jersey is the place that everybody in the world feels is their business. Okay, Mike, hold with me for one more segment. You're listening to the Bob Siegel Show. Hi, I'm Bob Siegel here to talk about my latest book, the Many Myths About Ministry. As you know, I'm a Christian apologist, but let me tell you something. In my many years of interactions with skeptics, doubters, and even seekers, I have found that the vast majority of their problems with Christianity stem from previous church experiences. Yes, what's more, many of their concerns are valid and serve as inspiration for this book. While defending the truth of the Bible and the importance of the gospel message, I nevertheless take an honest look at the way Christians interact with each other. From the larger issues of putting our leaders on too high a pedestal, to the unfair judging of the way another person worships, to the unsolicited advice which claims to have been led by the Spirit of God. Of course, and I do believe the Spirit of God speaks, I do, but a lot of times Christians are putting words in his mouth. Who are we kidding? My friends, this simple, easy read will strike a chord of familiarity with anyone involved in church life. It's a call to lay aside the unimportant issues that distract us and return to the heart of Christian community. The Many Myths About Ministry by Bob Siegel, available on Amazon.com, 
and barnesandnoble.com. So to finish this show, Bob and Mike will continue to discuss the debate that Bob had with Nadir, a Muslim apologist, and we are going to share a comment from Bob's brother, Paul. Bob's already brought this up in the show, and Paul does live in Israel. And in the West Bank, too. Yes, yes. And he is an Orthodox Jew, and he is right there. And so he has several things to say that are important about the debate. And so I'm just going to, if you guys will allow me, I'll read his whole comment, and then I will let you guys have a discussion about this. This is from Paul. It says, you were great in the debate. This guy was really slick, and he sounds like a reasonable person while he calmly says, Israel has no right to exist. Regarding his comment of 5,000 civilians, he said probably more than that amount will be killed before the war is over. And under international law, Israel can target a hospital with civilians if the enemy has weapons there, shoots from there, and in the case of Hamas, makes it a command center. The IDF must warn civilians to leave and must evaluate the price of civilian death to the worthiness of the target for the war aim. My main argument for this is that there is no moral equivalence between intentional murder of children and targeting their murderers. This is true in warfare and is justified in the Torah. Germany had millions of civilians killed compared to the 300,000 British and the 300,000 U.S. soldiers. If people are really concerned about civilian casualties in Gaza, they can demand Hamas surrender unconditionally and return all the hostages. Regarding Nadir's comments about terrorism is due to economic circumstances, this is a Marxist argument to excuse the evil. The World Trade Center Al-Qaeda terrorists were upper-middle-class Saudis. The leaders of Hamas safely live in Qatar and Turkey are billionaires. Did you know that right before October 7th, Israel allowed 18,000 Gaza civilians to work in Israel, and they had been mapping the homes of Israelis that they worked for, and each Hamas terrorist had these maps. They listed the names, the family members, the ages, and which ones had dogs and guns. Regarding Nadir's continual statement that Gaza was a prison, Israel left and evicted all Jews in 2005, and not one IDF soldier even remained. Gaza is for all intents purposes a Palestinian state. Israel is not responsible for their gas, electricity, water, or food. Why would it be? Regarding his statement about Jewish terrorism, the British did, and still do today, refer to Menachem Begum, as a terrorist. He did attack British headquarters and also notified them to leave. So there's a lot in that comment. I'm going to close with one more from Ross. Fantastic debate, Bob, in my extreme biased opinion and with the most mutual respect possible. Great moderating, Mike, as the spirited debate was a supernatural control. So gentlemen, carry on. Well, thank you all of you who sent in those comments. They were very encouraging. So Back to this whole rat thing. This is a despicable, evil propaganda effort comparable to what we saw from the Nazis being perpetrated by people who either are evil or they are at least involved with doing evil. It is is evil, this dehumanization of the Jewish people and the Jewish state using the rat analogy, which is a Nazi imagery, a Nazi analogy that was used heavily by the Nazis in World War II, and they are spreading it to the college campuses. And that goes back to this one, as I call the double standard, this idea that you have to be perfect 
supposed to allow people to come in and murder and slaughter people. And when they hide and use their own people as shields, you're supposed to not be able to attack them and reach. And so, and you know what's really frustrating, Mike? The left today will call anybody who disagrees with them about anything a Nazi. But when real Nazis, real Nazi yeah. tactics are being used, such as these atrocious things that were done to the citizens of Israel at the Gaza Strip, on the other side of the Gaza Strip, those Nazi actions are not being condemned. And there is a strong link and history literally of nazism oh, the grand mufti was a nazi grand mufti. And he then, actually met with himmler and then you have in the uh, 60s the soviet union had implemented a program anti-us program where they were trying to foment revolutions all over the world and one of the places they did it was israel and yasser arafat's was the brutal president Ceausescu of romania who advised yasser arafat said basically talk about your willingness to give up on terrorism to you know, renounce terrorism but don't ever do it but just talk about it and you can get a nobel peace prize that was the brutal dictator Ceausescu's advice to yasser arafat and guess what it worked Yasser Arafat did get a Nobel Peace Prize. Meanwhile, during the time when he was talking about renouncing terrorism, terrorist attacks increased 73% against Israel. So that's the kind of history we have here, the lies and the distortions and the facts there. But I do want to mention a couple of things here. There is some positive aspects here to happen. One of the things that, and I think that there was a reasonable viewpoint, there was a lot of policy experts just saying, oh my heavens, this is going to blow up immediately into a regional Middle Eastern war. Iran's going to attack, Jordan's going to attack, Syria's going to attack. This is a disaster. The United States can be pulled in. And then you had the Riyadh conference on November 11th. It was the biggest conference of Middle Eastern states that has been done for a decade or a couple decades. They all got together. Of course, they soundly condemned Israel. Iran was pushing for military action, economic sanctions, and all sorts of things. And the people at the conference said no. In fact, some of the people at the conference said, you know what, Iran, you're the one who funded Hamas, and you're the one who wanted to stop the Abraham Accords. So the Abraham Accords, they still were moving forward after President Trump left office. And I do believe that those, in some ways, did change Maybe the there was some positive they, residue they left the over they, from that. They changed, no, they were still working on them. In fact, Saudi Arabia was ready to start, was ready to move forward with implementing major provisions. That's one of the reasons Hamas attacked. That's, that's the belief. We can sit there and say that's really positive. So there has not been a major breakout in the war. And despite all the pro forma comments condemning Israel, behind the scenes, there are some people saying that some of these Saudi, some of these Middle Eastern states really don't want to get in a fight with Israel. They are obligated to say all these things here, but they're not really happy with what Hamas did. So that's a positive thing. Yeah. Well, I do want to point out, my brother referred briefly to Menachem Begin, and he was keying in on an aspect of the debate where Nadir was trying to say, well, Israel's done terrorism too. And he's going back to the time when this was under the control of the British. It was a British mandate. And the British had promised Israel that they could come and have their own country, and then they weren't leaving. So there was this revolution. Now, I commented on the fact that there were different Jewish factions and that the terrorism attacks of Begin had been condemned by other Israelis. Paul added the fact that even under Begin, they were going in and they were warning them first, like they blew up the King David Hotel, and they did go in there and warn them so that they could blow up the building and not the people, but somehow the message was not taken seriously, and they did not leave. So that was an interesting wrinkle to add to that conversation. Yeah, so I can't speak because I'm not real knowledgeable about that period of time, 
but obviously it's a whole different ball game. Well, we see Israel doing the same thing right, today right, uh, with today, Hamas. Right, yeah. Right, yeah, right there. And was the hotel? The hotel was it was a headquarters for the British military. Is that correct? I believe so, or at least a lot of them were right. at that hotel. Well, and another thing I do want to say is that despite the wiffle waffling from the Biden administration, you know, and him's talking about his concern about Islamophobia, the thing is, we sent in a massive. I think it's the Seventh Fleet. A massive U.S. naval presence came in there, and I have no doubt that that did affect how Iran looked at the situation as the United States. Although these fleets are being attacked a lot, and Biden's not doing a whole lot. Well, they're being attacked, they're repelling, but obviously— I mean, they're going back and they're attacking a few installations, but they're not really— Hasn't it been attacked like 16, 17 times by now? They've had some attacks, but they so far they've been able to beat them back. I mean, they're—listen— it, but they're not. I don't think see anything punitive being done under no, Biden. Well, but they, but they're there, and they're their presence there, and they've also been shooting down, actively shooting down rockets and missiles going into Israel. Our Navy's been doing that. So that's oh, that's interesting. That's pretty, yeah, we're that's not a, hearing we're not hearing a lot of that. No, in but the we news. we are doing that. So that the, the mere presence of us there. So despite all the problems within the Democrat Party with the anti-Semitism that's running rampant in certain segments of it, the Biden administration. Yeah, Biden's terms, ha- trying to have it both ways. He's defending Israel, but then we're also getting all kinds of news reports being leaked out that they're going in there and telling Israel that they want that ceasefire. Well, they, they are. They don't want them to go in there and completely take over Gaza, and so it's, it's very duplicitous. I have no doubt that it was U.S. pressure that forced Israel to do that first ceasefire that allowed the uh, yeah. Hamas to re- And these exchanges for the hostages, folks, you need to understand the people that Israel is exchanging are captured terrorists who are going to go out and commit more terrorism. Now, I want to be fair. If I was one of the families and a family member of mine was held hostage, I'd want to see everything possible done to their release as well. But when we're releasing terrorists to make it happen, we're just guaranteeing that there'll be more hostages and more terrorism in the future. Or another Israel Israeli soldier killed. Exactly. And very interesting, but the soldier's life, it's a different category, but each soldier's life is as valuable as any other human being, including that of a baby or a woman. It's just that they are positionally in a different position and we look at the rules differently, but their lives are just as valuable. And when you release these terrorists, you're putting everybody's life at risk. And once again, what kind of standard is that? We're once again getting back to this crazy double standard where Hamas being given all this power by the international community who's forcing a complete, unjust, and unfair double standard on Israel. Okay, well, Dana and Mike, thank you for joining me tonight. So much time and energy went into the debate, and the debate was such an emotional roller coaster. It's good to stop and take a breath and debrief. This was a healthy thing to do. And I will see all of you next time. The Bob Siegel Show is sponsored in part by the Law Offices of Matthew Simone, 